Chapter Thirteen of the Mysteries of Paris, Volume One. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Elizabeth Clett. The Mysteries of Paris, Volume One, by Eugene Sue. Chapter Thirteen, Preparations. The Chouette returned to the room, bringing the cigars with her. "'I don't think it rains now,' said Rodolphe, lighting his cigar. "'Suppose we go and fetch the coach ourselves. It will stretch our legs.' "'What? Not rain?' replied the schoolmaster. "'Are you blind? Do you think I will expose Finette to the chance of catching cold, and exposing her precious life, and spoiling her new shawl?' "'You are right, old fellow. It rains cats and dogs. Let the servant come, and we can pay him, and desire him to fetch us a coach.' replied Rodolphe. "'That's the most sensible thing you have said yet, young fellow. We may go and look about us as we seek the Allée des Veuves.' The servant entered, and Rodolphe gave her five francs. "'Ah, sir, it is really an imposition. I cannot allow it,' exclaimed the schoolmaster. "'Oh, all right. Your turn next time.' "'Be it so. But on condition that I shall offer you something, by and by, in a little cabaret in the Champs-Élysées, a capital little snuggery that I know of." "'Just as you like.' The servant paid, and they left the room. Rodolphe wished to go last, out of politeness to the Chouette, but the schoolmaster would not allow it, and followed close on his heels, watching his every movement. The master of the house kept a wine-shop also, and amongst other drinkers a charcoal man, with his face blackened and his large hat flapping over his eyes, was paying his shot at the bar, when these three personages appeared. In spite of the close look-out of the schoolmaster and the one-eyed hag, Rodolphe, who walked before the hideous pair, exchanged a rapid and unperceived glance with Murphy as he got into the hackney-coach. "'Which way am I to go, master?' asked the driver. Rodolphe replied in a loud voice, Allez des... des acacias in the Bois de Boulogne, cried the schoolmaster, interrupting him. Then he added, And we will pay you well, coachman. The door was shut. What the devil made you bawl out which way we were going before these people? said the schoolmaster. If the thing were found out to-morrow, we might be traced and discovered. Young man, young man, you are very imprudent. The coach was already in motion. Rodolphe answered, True, I did not think of that. But with my cigar I shall smoke you like herrings. Let us have a window open." And joining the action to the words, Rodolphe, with much dexterity, let fall outside the window the morsel of paper, folded very small, on which he had hastily written a few words in pencil under his blouse. The schoolmaster's glance was so quick that, in spite of the calmness of Rodolphe's features, the ruffian detected some expression of triumph. For putting his head out of the window, he called out to the driver, "'Whip behind! Whip behind! There is some one getting up at the back of the coach!' The coach stopped, and the driver, standing on his seat, looked back and said, "'No, master, there is no one there.' "'Parbleu! I will look myself,' replied the schoolmaster, jumping out into the street. Not seeing any person or anything, for since Rodolphe had dropped the paper the coach had gone on several yards, the schoolmaster thought he was mistaken. "'You will laugh at me,' he said, as he resumed his seat. "'But I don't know why I thought someone was following us.' The coach at this moment turned round a corner, 
and Murphy, who had not lost sight of it with his eyes, and had seen Rodolph's manoeuvre, ran and picked up the little note, which had fallen into a crevice between two of the paving-stones. At the end of a quarter of an hour the schoolmaster said to the driver of the hackney-coach, "'My man, we have changed our minds. Drive to the Place de la Madeleine.' Rodolph looked at him with astonishment. "'All right, young man. From hence we may go to a thousand different places. If they seek to track us hereafter, the deposition of the coachman will not be of the slightest service to them.' At the moment when the coach was approaching the barrier, a tall man, clothed in a long white riding-coat, with his hat drawn over his eyes, and whose complexion appeared of a deep brown, passed rapidly along the road, stooping over the neck of a high, splendid hunter, which trotted with extraordinary speed. "'A good horse! And a good rider!' said Rodolph, leaning forward to the door of the coach, and following Murphy, for it was he, with his eyes. "'What a pace that stout man goes! Did you see him?' "'Ma foi! He passed so very quickly,' said the schoolmaster, that I did not remark him." Rodolph calmly concealed his satisfaction. Murphy had doubtless deciphered the almost hieroglyphic characters of the note which he had dropped, and which had escaped the vigilance of the schoolmaster. Certain that the coach was not followed, he had become more assured, and desirous of imitating the chouette, who slept, or rather pretended to sleep, he said to Rodolph, "'Excuse me, young man, but the motion of the coach always produces a singular effect on me. It sends me off to sleep like a child." The ruffian, under the guise of assumed sleep, thought to examine whether the physiognomy of his companion betrayed any emotion, but Rodolph was on his guard and replied, "'I rose so early that I feel sleepy, and will have a nap too.' He shut his eyes, and very soon the hard breathing of the schoolmaster and the chouette, who snored in chorus, so completely deceived Rodolph, that thinking his companion sound asleep, he half opened his eyes. The schoolmaster and the chouette, in spite of their loud snoring, had their eyes open, and were exchanging some mysterious signs by mean of their fingers curiously placed, or bent in the palms of their hands. In an instant this mute language ceased. The brigand no doubt perceived, by some almost imperceptible sign, that Rodolphe was not asleep, and said in a laughing tone, "'Ah, ah, comrade, what were you trying your friends, were you?' That can't astonish you, who sleep with your eyes open. I, who—that's different, young man, I am a somnambulist." The hackney-coach stopped in the Place de la Madeleine. The rain had ceased for a moment, but the clouds, driven by the violence of the wind, were so dark and so low that it was almost night in appearance. Rodolphe, the chouette, and the schoolmaster went towards the Cour de la Reine. "'Young man, I have an idea, which is not a bad one said the robber. "'What is it?' "'To ascertain if all that you have told us respecting the interior of the house and the Allée des Veuves is true.' "'You surely will not go there now under any circumstances. It would awaken suspicion.' "'I am not such a flat as that, young fellow. But why have I a wife whose name is Finette?' The chouette drew up her head. "'Do you see her, young man? Why, she looks like a war-horse when he hears the blast of the trumpet.' You mean to send her as a lookout? Precisely so. Number seventeen, Allée des Veuves, isn't it, my man? cried the chouette impatiently. Make yourself easy. I have but one eye, but that is a good one. Do you see, young man? Do you see she is all impatience to be at work? If she manages cleverly to get into the house, I do not think your idea a bad one. 
Take the umbrella, Fourline. In half an hour I will be here again, and you shall see what I will do," said the Chouette. "'One moment, Finette. We are going down to the Bleeding Heart, only two steps from here. If the little tortillard cripple, is there, you had better take him with you. He will remain outside on the watch whilst you go inside the house." "'You are right. Little Tortillard is as cunning as a fox. He is not yet ten years of age, and yet it was he who the other day—' A signal from the schoolmaster interrupted the Chouette. "'What does the bleeding heart mean? It is an odd sign for a cabaret,' asked Rodolphe. "'You must complain to the landlord.' "'What is his name?' "'The landlord of the bleeding heart?' "'Yes.' "'What is that to you? He never asks the names of his customers.' "'But still—' Call him what you like, Peter, Thomas, Christopher, or Barnabas, he will answer to any and all. But here we are, and it's time we were, for the rain is coming down again in floods. And how the river roars! It has almost become a torrent. Why, look at it! Two more days of such rain, and the water will overflow the arches of the bridge. You say that we are there, but where the devil is the cabaret? I do not see any house here. Certainly not, if you look round about you. Where should I look, then? At your feet at my feet? Yes. And whereabouts? Here. Look, do you see the roof? Mind, and don't step upon it." Rodolphe had not remarked one of those subterraneans which used to be seen some years since in certain spots in the Champs-Élysées, and particularly near the Cours la Reine. A flight of steps, cut out of the damp and greasy ground, led to the bottom of this sort of deep ditch, against one end of which, cut perpendicularly, leaned a low, mean, dilapidated hovel. Its roof, covered with moss-covered tiles, was scarcely so high as the ground on which Rodolphe was standing. Two or three outbuildings, constructed of worm-eaten planks, serving as cellar, wood-house, and rabbit-hutches, surrounded this wretched den. A narrow path which extended along this ditch led from the stairs to the door of the hut. The rest of the ground was concealed under a mass of trellis-work which sheltered two rows of clumsy tables fastened to the ground. A worn-out iron sign swung heavily backwards and forwards on its creaking hinges, and through the rust that covered it might still be seen a red heart pierced with an arrow. The sign was supported by a post erected above this cave, this real human burrow. A thick and moist fog was added to the rain as night approached. "'What think you of this hotel, young fellow?' inquired the schoolmaster. Why, thanks to the torrents that have fallen for the last fortnight, it must be deliciously fresh. But come on. One moment, I wish to know if the landlord is in. Hark! The ruffian then, thrusting his tongue forcibly against his palate, produced a singular noise, a sort of guttural sound, loud and lengthened, something like prrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrr